Hey everyone, welcome to Unrefined Women. I am your co-host Agnes. And I'm your other co-host Margaret. This podcast is an ongoing dialogue between two sisters on the topics of spirituality, religious trauma, mental health, family dynamics, and feminism. We're very grateful you could join us today. I'm at a point now where I don't even remember what number episode this is. (laughs) We're like so far into this. This is like what, 29, 30? Something like, no, I think it's 30. It's going to be episode 30. 30? 30. Look at us. Wow. Yay. (laughs) So in this episode, we go down this rabbit hole of memories um, about like positive memories of our childhood because we noticed with like past episodes we kind of go down like this super dark depression like of like just really shitty things that happen um but that wasn't our whole life we really did have um a lot of really positive parts of our childhood so that was us bringing that to light and just talking about the special people in our lives um significant memories um our first memories um and just lots of cool shit of just like what it was like growing up in a family with nine kids. Yeah, cuz I think a lot of our episodes talk so much about the the like traumatic aspects of growing up as you said within a big family, but also a big family that was religious. And I liked how you and I were able to kind of touch on some of the really beautiful parts of growing up in a big family within religion cuz again, it's unfair to paint it all as like our whole childhood was this like ongoing tragedy and there was just no light at all. There were the good times. So, this episode's a little bit more uplifting and we definitely give a shout out to some very very special people that just helped us so much in our childhood so yeah we hope you all enjoy this episode and then a quick disclosure this is actually going to be a two-part episode because we went quite long so you will hear half the conversation today and the other half next week So this week, I wanted to talk a little bit about some stuff from our childhood, but not such deep, dark, depressing things, because we've covered a lot of that. Agnes, as I was telling you just a little bit ago before we hit record, um, this past week or so, I've been processing the death of one of my dear friends. And I'll just say her name because she's an amazing, beautiful, strong individual, but her name is Christine Falls. And ironically she was actually the mom of my first high school boyfriend but she was way more than that um their whole family was just really really special and close to me when I was in high school and and even though Alex and I only dated for a summer um he and I were always friends before and after that and his whole family was just such um such a support for me doing during a really difficult time during my teenage years and Mrs. Falls was one of those women that literally was like the warrior queen. In fact, when she was battling cancer the last few years of her life, um, she really just told her experience of battling cancer um, through the lens of a warrior queen fighting a dragon that was trying to defeat her castle. And, And... she really exuded that energy. She was the woman that would walk into the room and she just had so much strength and power, but in a very loving and empathetic way. So she was actually an attorney throughout her life and and devoted her life to 
advocating for children and for animals. And, you know, to me, it's just because of who she was to me in my life and just all the work she did in her life and, and who she was as a mother and to her family and her friends and her community. It was, it's just such a tragedy for her to pass away at such a young age. So I've been processing all of that and it's just making me reflect, you know, as death does, makes it, making me reflect on my life and, and what life is and what it means and what we make of it. Because something she said to me that was so powerful near the end of her life, because I was reading some of the last messages that she and I exchanged right before she got really, really sick at the end. And she told me at the end of your life, you know, you realize that you can't save the world, but you realize that you can impact the people around you that you love, and that's enough. And I was like, you know, reading that now and looking back, it was just like, damn, that's so, so powerful. Like, we all need that reminder sometimes. So I've been sitting here reflecting on that and and processing everything. And I wanted you and I, Agnes, to talk today a little bit about our childhood. But instead of talking so much about some of the stories of of the tragic things that happened to us, I want to focus a little bit more, kind of zoom the lens in and focus on some of the moments of joy that were in there and some of the moments that we have gratitude for. Because I realized at the end of our lives, our whole lives, it's like this quilt stitched together, right? It's... It's the grief, it's the joy, it's the love, it's the pain, there's the highs, there's the lows. Like there's all of that there. It's all stitched and woven together and that's our life. So we're going to zoom in and, and look at the really beautiful stitches today. Does that, sounds, does that sound good? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start with some early memories. Agnes, what's like the earliest memory that you have of childhood? It's kind of hard to identify the earliest memory because I feel like it just depends on like what triggers that. But right in this moment, I'm thinking of my earliest memory is when my so my Aunt Mary, who lives in Chicago, um, my mom's sister, they were super close like you and I. And they she they also had like a larger family. Well, they had like four kids, but um, they lived in Chicago. We lived in the suburbs. So they would drive out like the hour sometimes like twice a year or whatever. Uh, we would like switch. And, um, I remember aunt Mary and the kids were coming over. I had to have been like three or four years old. I was so, so young. I barely remember this, but I remember their minivan would drive up and we were like a herd of fucking cows. Just... <laughs> Just like oh we, there's like nine of us kids. We are just like fucking hurting out the fucking door. And we would just like have this whole gathering in the front yard of us just jumping around and screaming. There's just like all of these kids. And we were so happy and so excited. And I, that's just what comes to my mind. Like I remember their minivan just pulling up. <laughs> And it was just like a festival for like an hour outside. And then we would migrate inside and um, we would spend the whole day together. And my mom and my aunt would be in the kitchen gossiping and cooking dinner. And that that's my first memory that I can think of right now. That's actually like a really great memory to have. 
yeah it it's is like, it, i'm really happy just, about that it's like just pure excitement because i remember that feeling too as mm-hmm. kids when someone came over especially someone we really liked it was just like so exciting yeah and a few like we would all connect on like different levels I'm not sure how you were with our cousins but I remember like going through phases where like our cousin Anne like we would play dolls together and then uh, my cousin Max when I grew out of doll phase we would like go outside and play sword fights for like two years straight (laughs) so it was always really fun well, with Aunt Mary and their family, I, I was so much older than everybody, so I didn't probably have the same level of excitement whenever they came mm-hmm. over, because it was, to me, as the oldest, it was like, oh, I have more kids to watch, more diapers to change. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. So I would usually, like, hide in the kitchen and just eavesdrop on mom and Aunt Mary having conversations. Yeah. And they would talk <laughs> about get... the juiciest stuff, too. Oh, my God. I know. I would get all the tea from them. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> so but I I remember that just the excitement of someone coming over do you ever just think like damn wouldn't it be so great if as an adult I could still be that fucking excited about someone coming over <laughs> I know but whenever someone comes over it's like I have a million things to worry about like I have to clean my house and I have to right. like shower and eat and like get ready and then they come over and then you're like yeah let's just chill <laughs> I know. I swear. That's like, I, I wish that I could get back to that place. I struggle with that because yeah. it's the same thing. When someone's coming over, it's like anxiety on max because every I, I have to get the house ready. I have to get us ready. And I'm like, I wish I was just a kid. And I didn't give a shit. And I was just like sitting in the front window like, are they here yet? And my house is filthy and I don't even care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, the things is- we lose as we get older. <laughs> right. <laughs> What is your first memory, Margaret? So I actually have two of them that are like really kind of close in time. The first was, I'm going to assume I was maybe between three and four because it was just me and Andrew and mom was pregnant with John. So I was really, really young. This was in the summer, I think um, probably right before John was born and we were actually on a plane. That's my first memory is riding an airplane out to Oregon to visit Grammy and Grampy. And it's the only plane ride that I ever took in my childhood until I didn't ride a plane until I was an adult. And I I have just little vague snapshots because I was so little being on the plane with Andrew. And I remember we had like these toys. I think they were like little stuffed animals, but Again, it's so foggy. And I remember us like climbing around on the seats, playing with the toys during the flight. And we kept like turning around in the seat and like wagging the toys at the people behind us. (laughs) You guys are those kids on the airplane. (laughs) We were. I legit remember this, like being those annoying kids that were like being loud and playing and like trying to get the attention of everyone around us on the airplane. And I I don't remember, like, anyone being nasty about it. I think the people behind us were actually quite, like, you know, pretty cool about the whole situation. But really, the strongest part of the memory that I recall is that when we were descending into Portland, you know, you have to put your seatbelt on. And Andrew and I were not fucking having it. And mom put the seatbelts on us. And we started screaming at the top of our lungs. (laughs) And... 
Andrew and I talked with mom about this years later because we legit screamed our heads off the entire way down and nobody knew why we were screaming. And I don't know why we didn't like say why we were screaming because years later, mom said, I thought you guys were crying because of the ear pressure, like naturally, right? Like that's a, that's a common thing with kids and babies is the ear pressure hurts. And both Andrew and I laughed and we looked at mom. We said, no, mom, we didn't feel shit in our ears that you put the seatbelts on us way too tightly and it hurt. <laughs> and that's what I remember was that the seatbelt was like digging Aww. into my waist and it hurt. So I screamed the whole way down. <laughs> so, I mean, can you blame her? She was pregnant and driving, dragging two children with her. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. Poor mom. Now I don't remember anything else from that trip. I've seen pictures of that trip. Like we apparently did a lot of amazing things. We went to the <laughs> beach. We went to the mountains. I don't remember that. I just remember the plane ride. You just remember the trauma. <laughs> Right. <laughs> no, actually, it's oh really God. not a bad memory. That yeah, the the pain from in from the seatbelt kind of sucked. But aside from that, the next memory was actually a few months after that because it was the morning that John was born. And um, actually, John was born during the night because I remember that was a trend. Actually, you probably don't know this, but all of the boys in our family were born at nighttime, like during the middle of the night, and all of the girls in our family were born during the day. The only yep. boy in our family. What was that? What time were you born? I was born at 1.01 p.m. What time were you born? Oh, gosh. Like 2.29 or something. Two something in the afternoon. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So all the girls were born at day- during the day. All the boy- boys were born at night, except for Luke, the last one. Luke was born during the day. He he was the last child. He, he fucked up the whole track record. So... <laughs> I remember the, the the morning that I woke up and I was I woke up in my crib and I remember sitting up in bed and my my crib I was in a crib at the time still my crib was right next to like the window in my room and like you know the sunlight was coming in and I was wearing my pink fuzzy footy pajamas like the zip up ones you know and I stood up in the crib and like mom wasn't coming in to get me and I wasn't like upset about it. I just remember being like curious, like, where is everybody? So I stood up and I remember going, mama, mama. <laughs> and like mom didn't come. And I was like, well, that was weird. So then I went, dada, dada. <laughs> and dad walked into the room and scooped me and like picked me up and, and goes, oh, you have a new baby brother. And carried me into mom's room where mom had like just given birth. And there was mom laying in the bed, you know, getting cleaned up. She must have just had John probably not too long ago or getting checked. And um, the nurse was in there. And, you know, I think maybe maybe Aunt Mary was there. I, I don't remember who all was in the room. I do remember there was the doctor. It was like this old guy with like a beard and glasses. <laughs> and he fuck? was... Ho- <laughs> I know. And he was holding John and John was poor John. He's about to get put on blast. He had just been born. Can't blame the, the poor baby. So he had just been born and he was laying there naked on a towel, like screaming his head off. And the doctor was like, you know, taking measurements and checking vitals. And John just kept pooping on the towel. <laughs> 
and then the, and then oh the doctor would be like, I, the doctor would be like, I, the doctor was like, I need a new towel, and he would get a new towel, and John would shit on that towel too, and I'm like, wow, my baby brother really likes to poop. Oh my god. So, yep, that's it. That those are my first memories. Oh, <laughs> that's really exciting. I wish I do have a memory like that with Luke though. So you do? What is but it? Not- well, I remember so my mom she got pregnant with Luke late. Like it was a surprise. Oh, um yeah. I think I was in like first grade. Um I was going to elementary school and um we all thought that Quinn was gonna be the last. And mm-hmm. Quinn was like six years old at that point. And we we just thought mom was done. She was like 45. We, we just thought we were done. And she got pregnant with Luke. And um, I remember like finding out and my, my mom told me and like I was so excited. Um, and like the Not whole the pregnancy. I ever- had. <laughs> oh, yeah. You probably you. Sh- I know your story. You like shit a brick. <laughs> I know I was in college um, I was like dude what the fuck my parents are still having sex that is disgusting like you need to stop okay <laughs> like you're old now oh my god <laughs> um, um but I remember finding out and it was the three little girls which I'm sure we've talked about it was me Quinn and Cecilia and we were the three we were all two years apart and we were just so excited because we were obsessed with baby dolls and American Girl dolls at this point. So we're like, we just get to have a real one now. <laughs> so throughout the pregnancy, we were just obsessed with my mom and obsessed with her belly. And I remember they went out and they had to like buy the whole, the, like a new crib or a new car seat, new stroller, new everything. And one, for one day, my parents unpackaged everything and let us play with it with our American Girl dolls or our baby dolls. Aww. So we were having like a full day of real baby equipment with our baby dolls. Oh my gosh, <laughs> And it was so wow. much fun. We were literally like, yeah, it was really special. Like we spent the entire day. And I just remember how excited we were like, to be able to play with real car seats and real strollers. <laughs> um, and then when she went, she went into labor, it was, a, it was like a, a Thursday. I think it was born on a Thursday. So it was like at night, um, Cecilia came in Quinn and I's room and she was like, mom's in, mom's in labor. And, and I remember hearing the commotion going on outside and, mom was like going down the stairs and you know they were packing up the hospital bag a bag and um we were so scared the three of us and we were were, like sitting in bed and we were like really nervous like we all went and like hugged and kissed my mom goodbye because she was going to the hospital for this one and we were all huddled into bed it was like two o'clock in the morning and we were like so scared and nervous and I remember I think I, I don't know if it was me or who else but we started crying too because we were so scared for mom we're like oh my god I hope she's okay and we Aww. were like crying but like I think they were like happy like you know happy excited tears um, and then eventually we all fell asleep where we decided we're going to sleep in the bed together because we were just so excited. So all three of us slept in the bed. And then the next morning, my grandparents took us to school and 
um, I was in school. It was like in the morning and the secretary came to my classroom and she came and found me and she's let, she said, your mom had a baby boy. <laughs> and I remember because my mom, she never found out the genders. So I think she like had like the whole like natural conspiracy thing um, where people can kind of like, like the chiropractor said, oh, you might have a boy because of this, this and this. Um, so we were yeah. expecting a boy. Um, but it, my mom never got like the actual like test or whatever. So I remember announcing to my whole first grade class that my mom had a baby boy and every, all the boys were like, ha ha, she had a boy. <laughs> hey, you know what? So. The girls still outnumbered the boys. So we still won. Oh yeah. Five girls, there four boys. <laughs> <laughs> That's so crazy. I didn't know your side of the story from when Luke was born. Cause I was there at the hospital, yeah. but it, my morning, you know what? My story is kind of a shit show with that one too. Um, Cause who, okay. So you, Cecilia and Claire were all at home. Who stayed with you that night? Like when mom and dad left? Um, I, I think probably the boys probably because okay. I know Martina went to the hospital as well. Yeah. She was so there. I, think the boys. I remember that. Yeah. Martina, that's right. Martina was there. So I was there as, as I've probably said before on the podcast, I was there for the birth of, um, Cecilia, you, and Claire and I helped with all of your births and I actually delivered Claire um and then so Luke was going to be born in the hospital so of course I was going to be there but I wasn't obviously because of hospital protocols I couldn't be as involved in the actual birthing process um so uh, by the time Luke came was due to be born I had obviously gotten over my resentment and it was very exciting now let me tell you it was very strange being a college student and telling all of my friends like, oh yeah, my mom's pregnant. Like that was the weirdest thing. People <laughs> were like, wait, what the fuck? Like how old is your mom? <laughs> and I remember a few weeks before the due date, sending out an email to all of my professors and telling them like, hey, my mom is pregnant. Um, she's going to give birth. This is her due date. And, you know, obviously whenever the baby comes, I'm not going to be at class that day and I'm probably going to miss a few days of classes. And I think that some of them didn't really believe me. Like, they were like, how do I, like, is this, is she like going on vacation and trying to come up with this like really shitty excuse to not be at class? Because like, what college student's <laughs> mom is pregnant? <laughs> so that was very interesting. I, I, I do remember a few professors pulling me aside, like, um, hold on a second. Like, what's happening? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, I get it. It's fucking crazy. All right. Like, my mom's pregnant. So Anyway, leading up to the to the due date, I was, you know, always had to ha tried to have my phone on me. I was trying to like stay in the loop. Well, guess what? The night mom went into labor, I was actually staying at my boyfriend's house that night. Like no one knew that. And I mean, I would stay there all the time anyway, but I was staying at his house that night and we went to bed and I forgot to plug my phone into the charger and it died. And I remember waking up it must have been like five in the morning or something. I just like happened to wake up to go to the bathroom and I was like, checked my phone and it was dead. And I was like, fuck, 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 fuck. And I like plugged in my phone and turned it on. And I had just like so many voicemails, text messages. I'm like, oh my God, of course she's fucking going into labor now when my phone died. So I, I checked my phone and I was all the way out in Oswego, which is like over an hour's drive from Hinsdale where the, the hospital was, where mom was giving birth. And mom actually gave birth at the mm -hmm. same hospital um, with Luke that she did with me. 
So, and I looked outside and it was like pouring rain and I'm like, oh, motherfucker, like I have to get into the city in the rain. <laughs> so I like threw on my clothes. Like I was texting, like, is the oh. baby here yet? And it was like, no, the baby's not here yet, but she's getting close. <laughs> and I just like sped into the city <laughs> as fast as I could go in the rain, got to the hospital, ran upstairs. Like, you know, she was like deep in labor at this point, like screaming it out. Like the baby was coming. I got there just in a nick of time. And she, and- mom, mom was unmedicated. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. So mom went through every single birth without drugs, like nine births with no drugs. I don't fucking know how she did it. So, but let me tell you in the hospital room that time with Luke, because mom was actually 43 and I was standing with Martina and this was Martina's first time experiencing this. So Martina was kind of freaked out and I had to like, I vaguely remember sitting next to Martina and trying to like comfort her like, hey, like this is normal. Like this is what it looks like. It's not fun. Um, and I remember mom had one one point during the birth where she just like broke down and the doctor was like, you need to push. And she was like, no, I'm not pushing. Like mom was like fighting back. Like, no, I'm not going to push. And the doctor's like, was like very calmly like, Teresa, like we need you to push now. And she was like, mom just started sobbing and she was like, I'm not doing this. I have pushed out eight children. I'm not fucking doing it again. (laughs) And I felt so bad for her because again, I had been there for the last three births and mom had always pushed through. Like she just had strength and resilience the entire way through. Mm-hmm. And this was the first time I had seen, I saw her like actually break down and just be like, no, I can't do this. Like I had never seen mom do that. Like I can't do this. Like this woman in front of me has endured so much pain in her life. She has endured so much abuse. She hasn't endured so much adversity and pain, but she's always pushed through. And for the first time I'm seeing her say, no, she can't. And it took like all of the coaxing and the strength of like every medical professional in that room to help her like mentally get to that place where she could push. Thank God Luke was born very shortly after that, but that was tough for her. And she really had to, she really had to pull it together. (laughs) So, yeah, but thankfully she was, she was safe, but, and then we all got to hold Luke. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that brings tears to my eyes because no, you're okay. <laughs> because mom, even now, I, I'm just really like taking this moment to look back on my childhood, and I'm like, I feel like mom, like we weren't always close, and my mom drove me, drove me crazy a lot of the time, but she was the the root of the best moments of my childhood. She truly was and the siblings, but mom just truly brought the, 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 there wasn't a lot of happiness in her home, Mm -hmm. but all of the happiness that we did have was because of mom. Yeah. And even now looking at the way that my mom is now, like right now she Every day she goes through so much and I've been helping her out. She's been having some issues with her vehicle. So Patrick and I have had to drive her to work or or pick up Luke from school and help her out with all of that. 
I can't imagine that this woman, she works so hard. Like every day of her life is just a battle of getting through the day. And she's just so like that, that warrior energy of just, just fighting through it. And she talks a lot about how she, you know, she doesn't have a choice. She says, you know, I can't give up. If I give up, then I can't have the kids because she's, she recently went through a legal battle with our dad for the custody of Luke. And she knows that if she ever stops fighting, then that means her abuser wins. Yeah. To have custody. And she busts her ass every single day. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> yeah. Geez, big shout out to our mom. She's really yeah. been through the ringer. I've yeah. always said, I've always said if there's a heaven and there's a God and there's all of that, like God has a very, very special place in heaven right next to his throne for our mom because she mm-hmm. is a saint. <laughs> she really is. She is. I mean, I think most of us in our family, like obviously because mom was being abused by dad, you know, she wasn't always the healthiest parent. She didn't always handle things in a very healthy way with us. Mm-hmm. But at this point in my life, it's like, I know she was just doing the best she could with what she had, you know? So I know I forgive her for that. And I, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I feel like as we're sort of in this moment of gratitude for mom, I kind of want to give a shout out to all of the special adults that were in our life growing up. Um, I can't remember like the actual verbiage of these studies, but in social work school, um, I've learned that if a child that comes from a unhealthy background or like a traumatic background has an adult in their life that's like supportive and loving, I think it's like the chances of them like being okay, like it's it goes up like forty percent or something crazy like that. Um, so mm-hmm. I really think that there's so many adults that we had in our lives that actually cared about us and loved us and gave us support and it really helped us to be okay so I kind of want to give a shout out to some of those people um you know mom was one of them but she also oftentimes was in the trenches with us but Claire Kiesler remember Claire next door yeah I do I think Claire was just like a guardian angel for us next door. She just was so special. She was like another grandma to us. Yeah. She was our next door neighbor for a few years. And then she moved to like the, like a few blocks down later on. Mm -hmm. But she, um, watch she she was our babysitter for the three little girls. And we spent, this is before we went to school Um, when we were really young and we spent like almost every day with her we were I don't know what the schedule was Mm -hmm. but we would just we were always with her and she would come and pick us up um, or take take us back to her house or we would go out and do something fun and um, her house was like our home she had an entire room in her house that had It had like a huge pull-out couch, like a bed couch thing, and a TV, a huge TV with every single movie that we wanted, like Angelina the Ballerina and Curious George and whatever other shows, (laughs) Madeline, and 
like Barbie dolls, toys, like the entire room was just specified for the three little girls. She did all of this for free. I don't think my parents ever, well, we didn't have money, but I don't think she ever asked for a dime. She did everything for free and she worked at, at a hospital full time. Um, so she was, uh, and she did overnight shifts. So I remember often when we were at her house, um, she would sometimes take naps and we'd have to like be quiet, <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah, she was an absolute angel. I, she like being at her house was the, it was like a break for us girls to get out of the hecticness of being in a large family and not always having someone there that, you know, we didn't have a lot of toys and we weren't allowed to watch whatever movies and shows we wanted. So yes, she is definitely, was definitely a blessing for our family. I actually remember the first time we met Claire because I was eight years old when we moved into that house. It was the only time that we moved when I was a kid and it was a few days after we had moved and we were actually getting into the van to go to church on Sunday morning and we were like already loaded into the van. I think mom was like putting whatever child was a baby at the time into the car and I saw this woman walking towards us, you know, and Claire was... I think she must have been like in her 50s or so at the time that we moved into the house next door. And I saw her approaching us and I just remembered like looking at her for the first time and just feeling this overwhelming joy inside of me because she had the biggest smile on her face and she was walking quickly towards us like she was just overjoyed to see us. And she didn't even know us. And she came up and, and introduced herself. And like she just exuded just warmth and bubbliness and excitement. And she just very, very quickly became so special to us. We definitely, like all of us, had that like no-knock policy. Like she would just come walk into our house and we would just swarm her. And like we would go walk into her house. Like we all, you know, we all kept our doors unlocked you know, in the neighborhood and cause we kind of, everyone knew everybody very, just kind of like Midwest hospitality, you know, but just, she was always there. And I remember going to her house, <laughs> as you said, it was like this special place to go because she would let us watch whatever we wanted on TV and she would give us snacks. And Claire just never shamed us for the things that we were interested in. She never shamed us for being who we were. And she just was such a safe and wonderful person. So shout out to Claire. So another shout out for the amazing adults in our lives were our grandma and grandpa. So Grandpa Joe and Grandma Nancy, they were are my father's parents. It's <laughs> a huge surprise there. A lot of people, I, I mean, even to myself, sometimes I'm like, it's crazy that we're have nothing to do with her father, but even to this day, still very close to them. So, um, well to grandpa, grandma, grandma, Nancy passed away a few years ago. Well, still close with her. She's, we've got tattoos of her, so she's always with us. So, yes. Um, so she, or our, our grandparents lived in North Aurora. We lived in Aurora. So like 15 minutes away from us. Yeah. And again, it was like a safe space. We would go over to their house all the time. They were like our another designated babysitter. (laughs) 
Um, and we would go over to their house and they had all the toys, the TV, all of our favorite movies. And I remember they were like, uh, what do they call the VHS tape or whatever? Like yes. the huge blocky tape uh-huh. that you stick in the, <laughs> in the VCR. And I remember... Yeah. Yeah, I was obsessed with the movie Madeline. And I feel like people don't know what that is for whatever reason. It's a, it's about the orphanage in Paris and the nuns and the girl the girl named Madeline. And it's a great movie. <laughs> Highly recommend. Um, but we were obsessed with the movie. And I remember going over, every time I went over to his house, um, we would, us three girls would watch it. And it got so bad. My grandpa was so tired. This is just a children thing. They will just rewatch <laughs> movies like like kids watching like uh Coco or like Coco Melon and all that just repeatedly. Like I understand. <laughs> because we would watch um Madeline every time. Like we would watch that movie like three times a week. And my grandpa would hide it sometimes. And I would go through the house and find it. I would literally go into his bedroom, go through his drawers and find the movie and come out and pop that bitch in. (laughs) Poor grandpa. (laughs) I know. And he always had the best snacks and we would always go over and we'd eat pizza rolls and maybe we were allowed to have soda <laughs> mm-hmm. oh yeah they always had like cold sodas in the fridge for us and you go you go into grandma and grandpa's house and they'd be like go pick out a soda or back in the midwest it's called pop go pick out a pop mm-hmm. out of the refrigerator <laughs> <laughs> yep and all the best snacks and it was and my grandpa he would he was a really good at grilling And growing up, whenever we had hot dogs, you know, we would just boil it on the stove or microwave it. But my grandpa was very fancy. He would grill the hot dogs and he would cut an incision through the hot dog and put pieces of cheese inside the hot dog. Yeah. and cook it so that so that the cheese I know I'm I'm vegan now but <laughs> I put the cheese like melt the cheese inside the hot dog and we'd have the best hot dogs and he would cut up like um the sweet onions the onions that weren't like spicy or, or had the tangy mm-hmm. or whatever and put the onions on it and it was so good that was like our whole childhood <laughs> yeah grandpa is the best cook still to this day he just like cooks up such amazing dishes so, okay food which foods do you just like when you eat that food does it just take you back to being a child at grandma and grandpa's house yes I and I have a feeling you're gonna say this one too split pea soup and tortellini soup oh my gosh my favorite yeah yeah I love tortellini soup you know what actually last year I remember it was like a week before my 30th birthday I had like I had like a 30th birthday photo shoot and it was I wanted to do like a nude photo shoot or like partially nude and it was out in the desert here like in Las Vegas and I wanted a a sunrise photo shoot and of course like the morning that I did the photo shoot it was like fucking freezing it was like the coldest night of the year and the wind was like 50 miles an hour it was insane and I had to get up at 4 a.m and go out in the desert and strip down naked in this weather it was awful um got through the photo shoot was colder than I can even describe like my whole body was numb I could barely talk that's how cold I was and in the car back to Las Vegas coming from the desert 
I was like, I want my grandpa's Torlini soup right now. Like, that's what I want. And, you know, of course, like grandpa's Torlini soup was fucking fancy. Like he would take like the beef bones and like make like homemade bone broth out of it. And it was, it was a like whole, a three day like, project. It, it really was like he was it was so authentic. But I just ran the sprouts and I just like got like some bone broth and package of Torlini's and a carrot and ran home, cut up the carrots because it always had carrots in it. And I just threw that shit together and I just sat there by the fire and just ate bowl after bowl of grandpa's Torlini or like, you know, my my quick knockoff version of grandpa's Torlini soup. And it just took me (laughs) back to being a child and it just made me feel so like warm and fuzzy and good inside. Aww. So Torlini soup. What else? Anything else for you? Um, he would always make really good pies. I remember that. Yeah. And and even, but he would make. I know his pies weren't as authentic. He would, for whatever reason, I think he would just get bored, so he would cook. But he would <laughs> yeah. just get like <laughs> his pies were more like generic, so he would just get like the canned of like cherries or whatever pie filling. Oh, yeah. Um, and then just buy like the generic like crust, but he, he always had pie at his house. And I remember even when I lived in Chicago, uh, recently after I got out of high school, um, I would go over to his house pretty often and he always had pie. So I'd always eat pie at his house and it was generic, but it was bomb as fuck because it was still grandpa's. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's just like, I don't know. It just hits different when your grandparents make it like everything just tasted better over there. Um, yeah. So I have a restaurant that totally just gives me nostalgia every time I go there. And I don't go very often, but the restaurant is A&W. It's like the one fast <sighs> yes. food place besides In-N-Out that like I will still eat at sometimes. Just because growing up, grandma and grandpa lived like a couple blocks from an A&W. And like North Aurora, mm-hmm. Illinois, it's like this tiny little town. You have like the little like main street with like some businesses and some restaurants. And then they lived like a few blocks away from the main street, like in a little neighborhood. And they there was an A&W like right down the street. So sometimes when I would go over, grandpa would run to A&W to get dinner. And so I just have like fond memories of sitting in the family room in the reclining chair with the TV tray in front of me eating yep. A&W. Yep. And having a root beer float. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like I, I talked about this just recently in one of my episodes, like my one of my solo episodes about you know, like the, the depressive phase that like I really went through recently and I was just really in a rough place and I actually had a moment in there where I was like I just really want to have an A&W rip your float just to like feel like I'm with grandma and grandpa again and I went to A&W and got a rip your float because that's just like what I needed that day oh so yeah I just yeah A&W it's near and dear to my heart better never go out of business or I'm gonna fucking lose it <laughs> <laughs> Well, I remember the same thing because before grandma got, um, before she got sick, she would pick us up and she would, uh, my grandpa and her would come pick us up from school sometimes. And my grandpa would go and drop us kids off with grandma at A&W quite often. And we would, they always had coupons. They were like the couponing, oh my like gosh, kings yes. and queens. They were, <laughs> they were so smart with their money. Yeah. And even when I was an adult, my every time I went over there, my grandpa would give me coupons <laughs> and I would use them too. Um, but like the coupons you get in the mail and everyone throws away. 
Um, but we would go to AMW and we would just get root beer floats and it was amazing. Yeah. Uh, see, you don't get to partake in that cause you're vegan. You can make a vegan root beer float. <laughs> yeah. But you can't just like go to A&W and like order an A&W root beer float. There's no A&W in Arizona. I haven't seen an what? A&W since Illinois. Oh my gosh. Okay, I, the only A&W I've seen is the one in North Aurora in my life. I feel like I didn't even know there was one in Las Vegas. There's like two or three of them. Yeah. Neither, not, none of okay. them are like close to me either. I have to drive for it. Like I, if I want an A&W Ripier, which is like every few years I'll want one, but I have to like specifically go get it. Cause it's, there's never been mm. one by me. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So the, the Ripier floats now movies, when you're talking about movies for me, it was the sound of music. I, I had like, <gasps> yes. yeah, I love that was another one for us. Yeah, The Sound of Music. I would watch that over and over. And then also Cinderella. I loved Cinderella when I was a kid. Aww. I just like, watched it all the time. But one specific memory I have um, was the first time that I saw E.T. I mean, that's... I don't know. <laughs> E.T. is like one of those movies. I feel like so many people like remember the first time they saw E.T. Because that that's like such an emotional movie. So I watched it with grandma and grandpa for the first time. I don't remember how old I was. I I just, I know I was a kid and I remember I was sitting cross-legged on the floor and the carp on the carpet in the family room because both grandma and grandpa were watching it with me and they were sitting in the two recliners behind me. And for some reason, instead of sitting on the sofa, I was sitting cross-legged right in front of the TV. And I just was like captivated by the movie. And at the very, very end, you know, when E.T. gets into the spaceship and flies away, I just like burst into tears and I was like <laughs> crying so much. And I just remember and I but I was also like kind of embarrassed by it because, you know, like feeling emotions was not really like allowed so much at home. It was mm-hmm. like kind of it was very vulnerable and kind of embarrassing, like because it was made to be yeah. embarrassing. And I just remember grandma like I don't I don't know if she asked me what was wrong because it's like with E.T. like what it, like I don't even know. Like, how do you ask that? Like, what's wrong? Like, <laughs> it's just such an emotional movie. So I just um, I, I just cried and I just remember them like just being like, it's OK, like it's OK to cry because I think they saw I was embarrassed. And I think that was just such a powerful thing to feel emotions from seeing this movie. And I just was feeling so many feelings in that moment watching E.T. take off in the spaceship. Like I didn't even I couldn't even name it. And I feel like right now looking back, it's hard for me to even name what I was feeling. But I just felt a lot. And I felt I remember how how safe they made me feel that it was okay to feel those feelings and show it. I remember one Christmas, I had a mental breakdown. I was like 10 or 11 years old. So I was going through a lot of changes. (laughs) I remember those years specifically, I was just extra emotional. I remember just crying every single day when I was 10 years old and around that time. And one Christmas, I had a mental breakdown because our family was super poor. So we got like barely any Christmas presents. And I remember feeling so sad. I sound so like spoiled and privileged, but um, I think we had gotten like blankets, like comforters, like down comforters for Christmas. 
And I was so upset. I, because everyone were like texting me there on like my little flip phone, texting me their pictures of like their bath and body works and all their stuff. And I got a blanket (laughs) and I was so sad. I was so sad that I didn't get to have like that fun, exciting Christmas. Um, because in the previous Christmases are, I don't, I don't know how my parents, I, they had like people like friends and my grandparents and stuff would help like financially pitch in. I mean, I can't even imagine paying for that many presents for that many kids, but, um, we, we at least got like something. So, uh, that year we, we just got blankets and I remember being very sad and I spent the entire day in my bed, just having like a full blown pity party. I was so sad. And my grandpa, I remember he came because my grandparents came over every holiday and he came to my room and he just, he just, he was, I don't remember like specifically what he said, but he was just like, you're okay. Like, just go take a shower. No one remembered that you had a mental breakdown and come down and eat some food. And he made me feel okay. So I did exactly that. And I came downstairs and he probably told everyone to ignore me because that's what I needed. And I just came downstairs Mm -hmm. and halfway through the party and acted like nothing happened. (laughs) And I remember just being so grateful because it was so embarrassing to have like a public mental breakdown (laughs) at a Christmas party. That's embarrassing. And then to be able to have someone advocate for you and be like, okay, now she's getting her life together (laughs) and, uh, being able to just wash myself and start new. Um, that was, that was very, um, healthy and I very grateful for my grandpa for that. You know, what's so interesting and I'm kind of realizing this now because I think sometimes we get really stuck in our heads when someone is feeling a feeling or they're having a breakdown or they're crying or something. I think we so often get stuck in our head of like, oh, what's the right thing to say? Don't say the wrong thing. Or, or at least like I do this. I, I don't, I'm assuming other people do this. Like, cause mm-hmm. it can be uncomfortable at times to be in the presence of someone that's breaking down. And we, we sometimes don't know what to do with that. And I think in our society, especially the sort of, uh, what is it called? Knee gut reaction is to just be like, oh, don't cry. Everything's okay. You know, and try to like smooth it over and push it under the rug. But that actually just comes from our own discomfort with vulnerability. And really what I'm, what I'm starting to understand from us having these conversations today and talking about the people that we really are grateful for who helped us in our childhood, like I couldn't even tell you like the thing, like the exact words that they said, because I feel like that wasn't even like important what they said. It was what was behind the words they said. It was the energy they brought to the conversation. It was their openness to the vulnerability. It was their openness to holding space for us in those moments when we didn't have it together. And they didn't shame us for that. It was like allowed to, to, to go through that. And that's ultimately Um, what made it safe. Yeah. I remember Emma Chamberlain. uh, She made a podcast episode on her podcast show, Anything Goes. Um, She talked a lot about that, like being in the presence of someone who is crying. And I remember even last summer when I was at your house and I was going through some stuff with my travel plans and 
um, that whole Illinois situation. I was in your backyard, just like bawling my eyes out. (laughs) And you came out and you asked me what was wrong. And I like ranted to you and then you're like, okay. And then you just let me be. And I, that, and that was perfect. I feel like that is the most perfect thing sometimes is to walk into the situation. Someone's crying and be able to, um, identify whether they want to talk about it or if they don't Mm -hmm. and listen if they want to talk about it and and help to uh, uh, encourage them and uplift them and make them feel better Um, or just leave them alone let them cry you know Mm -hmm. so uh, and I remember as well with Claire Kiesler I'm remembering a memory of we we were little so we you know kids get sick and puke everywhere so (laughs) I remember yeah. being at her house one time and I was sick. I got the stomach flu. It was Christmas time. And I, I went to the bathroom and I was just puking my guts out. And that was so embarrassing, like to throw up. And she came in and cleaned me up. And I was like, like lit, like w- just like my lip was like trembling. I was like ready to just burst into tears. But I'm like, no, Agnes, you have to stay strong. <laughs> That's so <laughs> embarrassing to cry. And she looked at me and she knew and she said, just cry. It's okay. Like, I'll pretend that you're not crying. Just cry. And I just started crying. And I like, I just needed to get it out. And I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And she just went on with her life. (laughs) And that's exactly what I needed. Yeah. Oh, that's so special. If you enjoyed today's Unrefined Woman podcast episode, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share. To check out other episodes, please visit our website at unrefinedwoman.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. To stay in the loop and receive access to additional content, please follow us on TikTok, username unrefinedwoman, and on Instagram at unrefinedwomanpodcasts. Special thanks to Walter Birdsong for the album cover, Margaret Rainey for our podcast music, Andrew Cioni for our gratitude prompt music, and Sean Butcher for editing and production. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. That's okay. I, I'm getting it started okay, because, fine. you know, it's going to freeze, I'm sure. Um... Oh, Jeremiah sent me a message on Instagram and he was like, I loved the bloopers at the end of your last episode. Which episode? (gasps) So for Sean, who's listening, one of our listeners sent me a message to say he liked the bloopers. So keep doing that. Okay, you just froze. (laughs) What? Which episode? I, the, the one that just, oh, wait. Okay, so the one with a hard hit, Sean did a bloopers segment at the end of the episode. Why do I not know this? A message about it. Am I? Did it? Okay, because you don't read your messages. <laughs> no, I swear to God, I do. I just like, <laughs> oh my god. Okay, I have to go back and listen. Yeah, at the very, very end of the episode, after the outro, Sean did a bloopers segment, <laughs> and he put bloopers from the episode. I love it. It's just, it's super short, but it's like, you're frozen. Now you're frozen. Oh my God. Now you're frozen. <laughs> it's just like 30 seconds of just us arguing about being frozen. Oh, yeah. Um, But, and yeah, Jer- Jeremiah sent me a message the other day and he was like, oh, I saw, I heard the bloopers at the end of the episode. That was so Aww, cool. That's so, so cute. Yeah.